I can think of a lot of reasons not to vote for Ron Johnson for U.S. Senate in the November 8 election, Phil. He broke his promise not to serve more than two terms once his term limit proposal was going to apply to him. He questioned science and promoted conspiracy theories during the pandemic. He rejected the most significant gun safety law in 30 years. Even Mitch McConnell was for that sensible and bipartisan bill. He says he cares about the deficit, but he mostly caved to big spending and more debt when Trump was doing it. He calls climate change BS and unsolvable. And worst of all, Johnson backed up Trump's baseless claims of election fraud leading up to the January 6th riots of the U.S. Capitol. He and his staff even tried to deliver a slate of fake electors to then-Vice President Mike Pence to undermine the will of Wisconsin voters. But on today's center stage, the Wisconsin State Journal's political podcast from the sensible center of Wisconsin politics, we're not just going to bash Ron Johnson, which is fun. (laughs) We're going to talk about why his opponent, Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, deserves to replace him. And we're going to play clips from our recent editorial board meeting in which we met with the Lieutenant Governor. I'm Scott Milford. I'm the opinion editor for the Wisconsin State Journal. I'm Phil Hands. I'm the editorial cartoonist for the Wisconsin State Journal. And we are one third of the Wisconsin State Journal editorial board. The one third most likely to vote for Mandela Barnes. (laughs) I got a feeling all thirds... (laughs) Are voting for Mandela Barnes. Just because you're on an editorial board doesn't mean you always have to do what the prevailing view of the editorial board is. Yeah, I've definitely voted for candidates that we did not, and voted against (laughs) candidates that we endorsed and voted for the other guy. Oh, you went for Rantham? <laughs> I did. I'm, a, I'm oh. Rantham. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tried and true, man. Uh, I was on the Rantham wagon. You know, he had 4% of the uh, – he was polling at 4%. But if he didn't win the election, it was rigged. <laughs> that was a great cartoon, by the way. Scott, all of my cartoons are great. So we had Mandela Barnes in for an endorsement meeting – I actually hadn't met him before. The lieutenant governor is not the highest profile position in the state. And also, I think I had left the state capitol as a reporter before he arrived. I guess I'm I'm getting, uh, I'm dating myself. You know, I actually- But we're both bald. I actually had met Mandela Barnes before on the Capitol Square during the farmer's market when he was collecting signatures uh, ah. when he was running for Senate. And I stopped by and said hi to him, told him who I was. He says, oh, yeah, you did that cartoon of me and Tony Evers <laughs> playing Euchre together. <laughs> Which is all I, apparently, that's all I know about Tony Evers is that he likes to play Euchre. <laughs> well, no shocker here, we're endorsing... The lesser of two evils. Mandela Barnes. I wouldn't say he's evil. No, no, no. We actually had called for Ron Johnson to resign two days after the January 6th riots just because he had pumped up the president's bogus claims about election fraud leading up to that riot. Although after the riot, unlike two congressmen, Scott Fitzgerald and Tom Tiffany, he actually did vote to certify the election. Ron Johnson's sort of the most disingenuous, awful senator that we've had in a long time in Wisconsin. Not only did he, you know, question the election, but even but even afterwards, he admitted that the election was completely legitimate. You know, to a on a hot mic, basically. That was a hidden camera. As a hidden camera, admitted that it was completely legitimate and there was nothing wrong with the election. And yet, he still pushes this theory that there was, you know, shenanigans. And he hasn't said he was going to accept the results of this election. It's just the hypocrisy and his willingness to undermine the democracy for his own political gain is really atrocious. I didn't think he was an awful senator. 
until Donald Trump was elected president. Oh, no, no, not at all. And then he just went all in on Trump, I guess, for survival. And because he became a household name under Trump, because he became one of Trump's big defenders. When he ran for Senate in 2010 and 2016, we had earnest discussions about endorsing him. We considered endorsing him in those races. We didn't. We ended up endorsing his opponent, Russ Feingold, in both cases. But we didn't see, think he was unendorsable no, six years nice ago. No, we had nice meetings with him. He didn't come in this time. I guess I'm not surprised given that we've called for him to resign. But, Phil, as I said at the top of the show, we're talking about <laughs> Mandela Barnes. Oh, <laughs> but it's so much more fun to be I negative. Know, I'm a but, negative Nelly. Well, be a positive, positive Paul. Pete. <laughs> Positive Pete or a positive Paul? Is that what it is? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not I'm not hit to your church basement discussion, Scott. <laughs> There's a lot of good food in church basements. I wonder how many uh, meals uh, Mandela Barnes has had in a church basement. Probably know. a lot more than you and me. We kicked it off with a question, mostly just to see what, asking him what was his central message. It seemed to us that he's been playing a lot of defense, that he's been saying why he doesn't want to defund police. Why he isn't going to abolish ICE or coddle criminals or let everybody out of prison or not pay his taxes. (laughs) Basically, he gave us a kind of a standard old school Democratic pitch for rebuilding the middle class. I'll tell you, our central message has been the same. It's about rebuilding the middle class. It's about providing opportunity to communities that have been left behind, which exists all across the state of Wisconsin. I was, you know, if you heard my story, you know, I was born in a mm-hmm. union household, mother, a public school teacher, and my dad worked third shift on the assembly line. And those jobs were tickets to middle class for us. And it's more difficult for people to get ahead these days. And the idea that my grandfather was able to move to Milwaukee after World War II, get a family sustaining job in Milwaukee at A.O. Smith, walked in one day, walked out 35 years later, was able to retire comfortably. And it almost feels as if it was easier for him to get into the middle class than it is for people in my generation now. It is, uh, it is very difficult. And, you know, you mentioned playing defense, and there's a, there's a little defense. But for the most part, the overwhelming majority of our ads are leaning forward with our positives. Letting people know who I am, what I stand for, and what I intend to fight for if elected to the United States Senate. And that's fighting for the things that Ron Johnson Johnson refuses to fight for. His 12 years in office, his biggest achievement was the 2017 tax bill. He was initially a no vote. He orchestrated $215 million in tax deductions for his biggest donors. And working people get left behind every single time. People's health care is in jeopardy with Ron Johnson. He voted to repeal the Affordable Care Act. And people's retirement security is on the line with this election because he's already threatened to put Social Security and Medicare on the chopping block, saying it should be discretionary spending. And this is a campaign that seeks to address the problems of a broken Senate. We need people who actually get what we're going through because we're going to get ignored every time. It feels like with Brian Johnson, it's always about himself or his biggest donors. That 27 tax bill benefited his company and benefited him personally. And I find this clip interesting because he he sort of talks about how it was easier for a black man who was my grandfather to enter the middle class than it is today. 
which is an interesting point and kind of a standard Democratic talking point. But it's also how Trump got elected president in 2016, sort of this make America great again. There was this era of America where things were better and and now that era is gone. And Mandela Barnes is tapping into that sediment a little bit, but from a completely different perspective. Mandela Barnes seems to be more of a protectionist on trade because he thinks that's good for workers, including union workers on the line, that sort of thing that are making things. Well, that's what Trump's campaign was about, too. But Trump, I think, even took it farther with these trade wars. And that's probably where the comparisons end. (laughs) Between Mandela Barnes and Trump? Yes. Yes. But there is sort of a conflicted nature to some of these issues because of the way Trump shook up the Republican Party and brought a lot of working class people into the Republican Party, at the same time changing some of the party's traditional, more pro-business views. When the history books are written about this era, that's, we're going we're gonna to talk about a great realignment of the parties because of Trump. The parties used to be kind of based on parties of owners versus workers. There's still some big businesses that are attached to the Republican Party, but it is mostly – it has become a party of blue-collar white people – uh, because in a lot of ways, Democratic Party has abandoned them. And maybe maybe Mandela Barnes' message can speak to those people again, which I think I think Democrats are trying to figure out how to how to how to bring those people back to the Democratic Party. And they haven't found a lot of candidates who can really do it. At the same time, though, largely because of the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade, a lot of women, including suburban women who had voted for Republicans mostly in the past, are rethinking that. Yet the latest polls show that this race is really tight. Probably Johnson's now ahead a little bit when he was behind before. A lot of that has to do with the crime issue. Johnson and more specifically some of his surrogates have really been hammering Mandela Barnes on the crime issue. As lieutenant governor, you don't have a whole lot of to say about crime. That's mostly mayors and I suppose you could say there's some state budget items, things like shared revenue that will steer more money to local governments to pay for police and diversion programs and other things in courts. But still, this is really a tight race. It's within the margin of error still. Yeah, he was behind because he's really unpopular in the state. I mean, he has really low approval ratings in terms of popularity, but there are lots of voters in the middle who I think have been sort of scared against voting for Barnes and are, and are now kind of resigned to vote for, for, for Ron Johnson despite the fact that he's not people's favorite or, or, or number one pick necessarily. And the crime issue, it's really – I mean, it's all sort of being hung on Kenosha and the riots in Kenosha and the right and Republicans are up in arms about – a couple of statements that Mandela Barnes and Tony Evers made um, right after the shooting of Jacob Blake in, in Kenosha, you know, where they sort of said, hey, that looks this looks really bad. You know, there's been this history of racial injustice by police officers. It's and I think I think Mandela Barnes said it seemed like there was a vendetta. And and Republicans have really glommed onto this like this was inflammatory rhetoric that led to the riots. Meanwhile, Trump says Come to Washington, D.C. It'll be wild. But he's not responsible for what happened on January 6th. I mean, the hypocrisy of somehow hanging Kenosha on Mandela Barnes for, you know, a pretty innocuous statement while ignoring the explosive rhetoric on the right is 
I don't know how people live with them, sleep with themselves at night. It's not just Kenosha, though. We have had higher crime, particularly in Milwaukee, where murders are up. And here in Madison, we've been a little freaked out at times about gunplay, about cars being stolen by juveniles and driven at over 100 miles an hour, recklessly risking people's lives. We've had a lot of murders, too, albeit for Madison. It's, it's nothing close to Milwaukee. But there are some real crime issues. The thing is, that's a national trend that came out of the pandemic. It's not like it's something that Mandela Barnes or Tony Evers cooked up here by letting everybody out of prison. If anything led to the, the rise in crime, I'm not sure you could hang it on Barnes or Evers. My theory is, and I'm not I'm not an expert in this, but it is. Has but you with, are a cartoonist. I am a cartoonist. <laughs> I did stay at a Holiday Inn last night. Uh, it's the kids were out of school. You know, kids were out of school. They had nothing to do. And a lot of these crimes are being committed by teenagers and children. And I think that's what led to a lot of this crime. And, you know, maybe maybe Barnes and Evers could have pushed harder to get the schools open faster and get rid of that lost learning that occurred. But I, I and I'm not an expert. But I, I still think it's the school's issues that led to a lot of this crime. Well, and there was some stress. There were companies that couldn't have people working near each other anymore, so they didn't need as many people and people staying home. And gas plummeted down to 99 cents at Woodman's on the east side of Madison because nobody was driving anywhere. Yeah. So there was a lot of stress to especially small businesses if they were in some sort of a industry where they had to be close to people or their workers did to yeah. try to not to get this virus. But in any case, I found Mandela Barnes to be personable, fairly knowledgeable. There were some things he didn't have clear answers for, which was upsetting, but he knows how to talk to people. He knows some things really well. He's laid back. You know, yeah. I think that's a nice change of pace from what we've had in politics recently. He's very laid back. Once in a while, it comes off as a little too laid back, like he's not adamant about some topics as much as he should be. But that's changed to some degree, like at a few points, he, he said some pointed things about his opponent. And especially, I thought, when it came to climate change, you couldn't find two guys that are more night and day on this issue, different generations, and you have... Mandela Barnes, who as lieutenant governor actually did something. He was on the climate change um, task force for the governor. He's not ready to sign on to carbon <laughs> fee and dividend, though, no. which will make the uh, the lobbyists yeah. in Madison very upset. But. but he seemed to favor some kind of a charge on carbon pollution. I mean, he's, I he's mean, for doing something, which is a million times better than what for Ron Johnson is for. Yeah. Ron Johnson at the first debate basically said... The climate's always changing, and we can't do anything about it. It's unsolvable. Just sort of a to hell with it, and let's keep burning coal, and don't worry about your grandkids or their kids. I just think that whole comment was, was similar to the one, one where he sounded like he didn't care about other people's kids. I mean, I think what Johnson was saying was people need to take responsibility for their own children. Of course they do, but what happens when they don't? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know, kinda, we got to do something or that comes back to hurt all of society. It's sort of I did this cartoon years ago. It was one of my favorite cartoons ever where it's like this guy's like he's yelling at this kid like, it's not my why should I have to pay for your school lunches? It's not my fault. You have lousy parents. And the kid says, it's not my fault either. I have lousy parents. <laughs> yeah. And to say that something is not solvable. So I'm going to stick on that for a second. I like guess it's, it's almost it's embarrassing. 
for you know you're elected for a reason figure it out like even if it's something you're not particularly passionate about passionate about the impacts can't be denied and our family farmers are getting hit they're getting crushed by climate change these never-ending rainy seasons or droughts soil erosion flooding events now the fact that we have somebody who would give up so easily like a senator johnson when it comes to climate change calling it bs also going so far as to say co2 isn't harmful in the debate i'm surprised more people aren't talking about that he says co2 is not harmful and i had to clarify i had to clarify that in the debate he actually said co2 wasn't harmful we know we have to reduce emissions quickly we have to reduce co2 emissions and that's part of what our clean energy plan was about here to get us to 100 percent renewable energy as soon as possible that plan didn't necessarily assume help from the federal government because we just you know you just don't know it was given the tools that we have the resources that we have to make that happen the u.s has to drastically reduce carbon emissions. We were a part of the U.S. Climate Alliance after the U.S. was formally withdrawn from the Paris Agreement. One of the first things we did was join the U.S. Climate Alliance, a bipartisan coalition of states that vowed to uphold the goals of the Paris uh, to uphold the goals of Paris. Now that we're back in Paris, we got to show real leadership because right now our standing on the world stage, you know, we're losing credibility left and right, and given that that loss of credibility is happening. We have to act quickly. We have to show people that we are truly serious. Now, this is the work we need to do at home. We need to make sure our trade deals also have environmental standards as well. So other large emitters aren't able to get over on us because they have different different, environmental standards. We have to get in the business of building things here once again. 80% of world solar panels are made in China, and we should be making those right here in Wisconsin specifically. 6,000 components in the women, we should be building those right here. So I look at the environmental impact, I also look at the economic impact, and not addressing climate change is gonna cost jobs. Not addressing climate change is gonna kill tourism in Wisconsin. Not addressing climate change is gonna drive up costs. And it's also, as stated by the Department of Defense, one of our biggest national security threats. Barnes is going to be good on that. I think he'll be good on that issue. You know, he's only in his 30s. That's a very different generation than a lot of people like Johnson in the Senate. And I think particularly on issues like that, on gay marriage, which is widely accepted, on legalizing small amounts of marijuana for adults, on raising the minimum wage, I think there's a lot of issues that Mandela Barnes has the public on his side. I mean, gerrymandering is kind of number one on that one. It was, we, uh, you know, that was the first thing we mentioned. Was that, you know, is is we asked him point blank. Do we gonna play the clip? Yeah. If you get elected, uh, there's gonna be a good chance that Democrats, if you win this race, Democrats probably gonna control the Senate still, and probably with more than 52 votes, maybe enough votes to overturn the filibuster. And maybe they retain the House, too. What's the first thing you'd want to see your Democratic Senate and House and Joe Biden pass without the filibuster? For me, it would be, I mean, it has to be democracy reform. Like, and I mean the whole package, like getting rid of partisan gerrymandering, shoring up voting rights, but 
the most important, honestly, I think one of the most important things is getting rid of partisan gerrymandering. The will of the people isn't being represented. Like it's this, like even if we're, it's the same kind of conversation we have with about the Senate itself being less than democratic, being just broken. But the the partisan gerrymandering, the the reality is people in Wisconsin are not having their voices heard. How many people support marijuana legalization? How many people think we should have expanded Badger Care? How many people think we should at least have universal background checks for firearm purchases? All these, uh, how many people think we should raise the minimum wage? All these overwhelmingly popular issues, you think that it matters to no one given the inaction from the legislature. But they're only able to do that because partisan gerrymandering. And I thought that's a great answer. That Jerry, you know, that if, if the Democrats could do one thing to make America better, it would be to reform gerrymandering. Ron Johnson would scoff at gerrymandering. Now, to be fair, you can't gerrymander Wisconsin when you run as a U.S. senator. Because it's all one state. Yeah. But you sure can, and they have, when it comes to congressional districts and legislative districts. The legislature is worse than the congressional districts. Yeah, I mean, we're meeting with some legislative candidates now, and according to an analysis by a Marquette University professor, there's only four races for the legislature across south-central Wisconsin that are not in a district that leans double digits toward one party or the other. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just obscene. You know, we're not we, we don't have good debates. We don't have you know reasonable competitive ele- elections, and it hurts democracy. And some of that's natural. Some of that's yeah, lots of progressive people you can't, live in Madison. You can't draw a fifty fifty district on the isthmus. On the topic of bail reform, he wants to get rid of cash bail. He argued that. People shouldn't be able to buy their way out of jail with money. I always thought bail was a tool that you make them put down money so if they don't show up, you get the money. So there's a big reason for people to return to jail so they get their money back. And you can adjust that based on their ability to pay. We didn't really like his answer on that issue. I'm not, I, you know, we have not endorsed getting ready, rid of cash bail. But I thought he had a really good point that Chris Christie, the Republican governor of New Jersey, adopted it. Yeah. I was just reading a editorial by the Star-Ledger out there. There's a lot of evidence that it didn't change much of anything other than it kept more people out of jail who didn't commit crimes. People on the right have been highlighting this, the tragedy in Waukesha where some guy on yeah, bail, yeah. a horrible tragedy, ran through, drive, drove through a parade and killed several people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just horrific. And he was out on bail. But that was a mistake. That was a clerical mistake. It wasn't like he – a judge posted the proper bail and he paid it. It was – there was a mistake in the sentencing. Yeah, and the tough thing is it's as as Janine Geske, who's on our editorial board and used to be a judge in Milwaukee. And, and is smarter than both of us. <laughs> combined. And <laughs> she said, you're never going to be perfect. I mean, there's always going to be somebody that you potentially – let out who doesn't do what you think they're going to do and they do something bad. But the only way you're ever going to avoid that is to not let anybody out. Yeah. And what's the harm? I mean, the harm in that is locking up thousands and thousands of people who haven't been convicted yet, you know, on on minor offenses and keeping them locked away for no good reason. And in the, in the meantime, they're they lose their jobs. They can't support their families. It's this horrible cycle that really, you know, plagues uh, parts of society. Now, again, I'm not ready to endorse the Mandela Barnes, Chris Christie proposal. 
He also said Alec was has has a proposal similar to his. Yeah. The progressives are not going to want to hear that. Yeah, I mean, the, but, Alec and the Koch brothers have been big into prison reform because they've sort of, you know, from the Koch brothers' perspective, I guess there's only one Koch brother left now, but, mm-hmm. you know, they're running out. <laughs> We've locked up so many Americans that there aren't enough people to work in, in, their, in their firms anymore. But again, at the same time, there's violent crime. And if somebody gets out and does a horrendous violent crime, you're going to say, maybe we're being too easy on this. And when you have... A surge in violent crime like America and much of Wisconsin has experienced, it's only natural that people are going to be more worried about that. Yeah. Although I think this surge in crime is actually on its way down. I think I think that crime numbers aren't as bad as they were last year. Let me also put this into perspective. This is a proposal that's been embraced by Republicans across the country. Like this was – Chris Christie did this before I even introduced the bill with Evan Goyke. So, yeah, these are people who are truly, like, maligning the issue, and they're doing it in the worst faith. They're doing it for political benefit. Like, this is something people agree on, even criminal justice reform in general. Like, you know, when they say, you know, releasing people, one, I don't have the power to do that. Two, these are positions that, you know, Grover Norquist had a right on crime tour, and he came to the state capitol and held a little informational session with whoever came to listen. I went to listen. These are their ideas. These things are on the ALEC website. The ALEC website is promoting reducing prison populations. Um, Ron Johnson also voted for the First Step Act. So is he walking back his position on releasing people from prison? Because 2,000, 3,000 people got released early as because of the First Step Act. And it feels as if he is walking away because he sees some nefarious political opportunity here. And that's what's so bad about all of this. That's why I say the Senate is broken. You got people who will support something one day, but if they feel they can attack somebody in bad faith, like over things I don't even have control over because they're using scare tactics, fear-mongering, then that's just pretty ugly if, if you ask me now back to the bail question uh my thing is like it does it the determination of whether a person stays in jail before their court day court date should not be on their ability to pay it should simply be on the severity of the crime and if the person is likely to cause harm or be a flight risk i wonder because of the polling suggests mandela is behind tony evers it would be fun to have to have on the podcast before the end of the election if we could find a Tony Evers, Ron Johnson, Ron Johnson voter. I mean, if that, you, that would be an interesting person to talk to because apparently there's some out there. If they're if you're out there, give us a call. We'd love to talk to you and figure out you know you know what what the what the reasoning what the reasoning is behind that. You know, yeah. And I suppose you could say, well, those are different offices. And it's a different situation. I mean, here in Wisconsin, you've got Republicans controlling the legislature. Tony Evers is the only real block on that, as our editorial noted a week ago, as our endorsement noted a week ago. Well, in Washington, the Democrats have control. So maybe you want to keep Ron Johnson as some sort of check on Democratic power. Or maybe you just think that Tony Evers has more experience. He's been in public office for 20 years or something like that and has a pretty long, mild-mannered track record of doing good work. And Mandela Barnes is sort of a new guy. We don't know as much about him and you don't you don't feel like you can trust him as much. Maybe that's a reason behind it. But I'd love to hear somebody explain it to me. Yeah, he definitely is 
lesser known, lower profile, and that's not easy. I mean, Ron Johnson, you know who he is. No, you sure do. He's <laughs> got do. His name recognition is through the roof. Yeah, because of Trump in large part, because of his loyalty to Trump. And right now he, he, he appears like he's in it. Yeah, yeah. And which is too bad because uh, Ron Johnson's got to go. Did you ask Mandela about Euchre since I quizzed uh, Tony last I week? did. Well, I, I asked I him. I thought you he, said something about that as we were leaving. I, I asked if he'd ever played Euchre. I mean, in my cartoons, he's always playing Euchre with Tony Evers. And he said he's only played with them once. You know, which is kind of surprising to me. You'd think that would be a uh, a um, something that we do on a, do on a regular basis. Who won? He did not say. Uh, so I assume it was I'm sure Tony. Tony won. Yeah, I'm sure it was Tony. But you know, remember when Tony said he had that big poker game with the legislatures? He said Sheila Stubbs, our local lawmaker, right. cleaned up and beat everybody. So apparently, Sheila Stubbs. If you're if you're picking a euchre <laughs> partner, you want Sheila Stubbs, maybe not Mandela Barnes. <laughs> Our theme music is by Tube Tester. Find and follow Center Stage with Milford and Hands on your favorite podcasting app or go to go.madison.com slash centerstage.